Hello again, everyone, and welcome. Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner, joined by Beat Reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from University of Michigan Center Matt Beneers. One of his hockey idols was two-time Stanley Cup champion Pavel Datsuk of the Red Wings. But first, Ted, the long-awaited news today, Steve Eiserman is bringing back coach Jeff Blaschel. On the last podcast, you said, yeah, the odds were like 52% he's coming back, 48% he won't be coaching in Detroit anymore. The longer it went, Ted, 10 days, do you think it increased the odds either way? Well, you know what, Mark, it sounded like, regardless of how long it was going to take, it sounded like Mm -hmm. I was very confident in Jeff Blaschel and he was going to be the man. I mean, there was some stuff they had it work out or whatnot. I, I, obviously, like I'm sure we'll talk about, there will be some changes to the assistant coaching staff. But ultimately, it's the way Eiserman talked today, I mean, Jeff Blaschel was going to be the man. Uh, mm-hmm. Liked the way the team competed and worked down the stretch. He liked the progress this season. Uh, nobody likes the lack of offense. That's an area they're going to need to improve on. But just the professionalism and the work ethic of this team and the fact that Eiserman admits they still need to upgrade this roster. I mean, it's really not a fair indication for any coach out there mm-hmm. what they have that, uh, you know, it needs to be upgraded. It needs to be better to get a better, better representation of exactly what type of coach Jeff Blaschel is. But ultimately he did enough things right did enough the team did enough things right and like we've been speculating for the last you know several weeks more than that mm-hmm. is the man he is going to be the coach here going forward ted let's hear now from steve eiserman he met the media on a zoom call today and you had the first questions for the red wings gm hey steve how you doing today good ted how are you good good uh just talk to us about your decision i mean what what brought you to the conclusion that Jeff's the right man for to still continue on the job? Um, well, I would say uh, two things uh, maybe most important to me. And one, I feel our team was uh, collectively very competitive. Um, whether we played well or not every night was different. We played hard, and I think our players play hard. Um, and, and I think that's a reflection uh, of the coaching staff that uh, that they they have the res- the coaching staff has the respect of the players, um, and uh, that was important. The other part is Jeff has really shown a uh, to work with me with you know transitioning our young players into the lineup, being patient with them, uh, not handing them uh, positions or ice time, uh, uh, really forcing them to earn it and guiding them along and being firm. Yet, uh, yet patient with our young guys. And as you know, as we're rebuilding and trying to uh, over the course of uh, last year, this year, and in the cu- coming seasons to move more younger players into the lineup, I think it's important to, to have a coach that, that, that has a, a, a calmness and a, 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 um, a willingness and the patience to allow these younger players to you know, go through some of the growing pains of playing in the NHL. The last one. I mean, did you like the progress that was made this year? Did you feel like there was 
a good good amount of steady progress being made? Uh, I do, uh, Ted. Yes, um, or did. Um, I, we've got a long way to go. We recognize that uh, we've got a lot of work to do um, uh, in all areas. But I, you know, again, I watch our team play. Uh, I, I like um, the competitive uh, fire that our team shows. Um, they work hard. They compete hard. And again, I think throughout the course of the season, uh, I see progress being made. And you know, specifically, I'm watching uh, some of our younger players. Uh, take on bigger roles uh, uh, within a game, um, and I, uh, you know, our, our veterans. You know, I, I one. I think they're high character guys, and that's what they do. They play hard. They compete hard. So I do. I think there's progress. But having said that, um, you know, there's so much work to be done. We've got a lot of improving um, on the ice. Uh, you know, whether in all aspects of it, offensively, defensively, special teams. But individually, as players, um, we need to improve uh, the talent level of our team. So, as an organization, um, uh, it's it's important for our hockey operations department, our management, our, scout, our pro and amateur scouting staff to to really do their jobs and uh, in, in order to get us to where we're going. So. Ted, Steve Eiserman wouldn't disclose the length of Jeff Blashill's contract extension. Eiserman's quote was. I've kind of made it my own policy to not discuss or announce the term of any one of my staff's contracts. I don't think it's something I want to share with anyone or intend to. I haven't in the past, and I won't moving forward. How long do you think the deal was for? Does it matter? One year, one year, and an option, a year-to-year basis? And do you think the players care one way or another? Because as Jeff Blaschel said, Ted, all NHL coaches are kind of on a day-to-day contract. They truly are, Mark. I don't think any, uh, as far as the players really care. And let's face it, if they get off to an 0-12 start next year, he's likely gone. And mm-hmm. they go to a 12-0 and start, well, maybe he gets an extension. Who knows? But regardless, uh, he's going to be here. I, th- I would be surprised if it's – if it's anything, I, I think he's going to be the coach here for at least for the next couple of years, and we'll mm-hmm. be, uh, probably reassess at that point. But as long as they keep making progress next year, and I think they will, I think there's going to be more young prospects coming into the lineup, um, a little bit more up, maybe a little upgrade in talent. Some of these younger players improve from this year. I think there's a chance for more improvement next year. Let's hear now from Jeff Blaschel himself. You asked him, Ted, about the amount of work that needs to be done for the Red Wings to get back into the playoffs. Hey, Jeff, you kind of alluded to it. Is there a sense of the job's just not complete yet, the job's not done in your eyes? Well, certainly um, the job's not nearly complete. And, um, you know, uh, I, I was, you know, I, I'm aware of, of, of where – uh, we, we have been the last number of years and, and I want, I want to get us back to a, a, a much better spot. And, and, um, uh, you know, and so, you, you know, I think any coach would tell you that they, you'd love to continue to, to have the opportunity to, uh, grind and push and find ways to, to, to continue to, to make strides as a team and as an organization. And, and, um, you know, I, I'm very aware of what I've been, uh, 
a part of. Um, I've been a part of a rebuild and, and certainly knew with my, my eyes wide open that it was going to be, there was going to be tough days and there's going to be struggles. And, um, you know, my job is to, to try to um, push us and, and, and help our players become the very best they can be and, and, and help push this team to, to a better spot. And, and uh, certainly that job's far from over. We've got tons of work to do. Um, I think we made some strides this year. I think we got better in certain areas. I think individual players got better. That's extremely important, but we've got tons of work to do. Hey, what's one area that you're going to concentrate on? I mean, going forward, where would you guys, where would you want to see you guys improve next season? I, well, I think there's, there's too much to say just one. Um, you know, I don't think there's any doubt uh, that you uh, – the, the, the hardest way to win in this league is – and I don't think anybody really does it – is to just score and try to outscore your mistakes on a, on a nightly basis. Like, that really doesn't happen. It's not really a run-and-gun league. Everybody's too close. Everybody – nobody has that much more talent than the other team um, to, to be able to run and gun. You guys are watching the playoffs. It's hard. It's hard to get great scoring chances. If, you know, a great team like Vegas – the isn't able to score uh, through 60-plus uh, minutes of hockey. Like, that's what it's like. So we better be sound defensively. And I, and I think uh, the reality is, is is good offense comes from from being sound defensively. So we may better make sure we're sound defensively. But we need to improve in, in, in tons of areas. Ted, there will be at least one change on Blaschel's staff, as you alluded to. Dan Bilesma is leaving. Steve Eiserman's quote on Bilesma, Eiserman said, in his heart, he's a head coach, and he wants to be a head coach. That's the biggest reason for him leaving. Eisenman also said that he and Blaschel will both have a hand in choosing Bilesma's replacement coming up. Do you think it's possible that Eisenman told Blaschel that Bilesma had to go? You know, in Carolina, Ted, Elliot Freeman reported that Rod Brindamore said he wasn't going to re-sign unless his assistant coaches were brought back and even the training staff. Friedman said Brindamore will take less than the market value, and Friedman said it might be like $1.8 million to bring everyone back. Blaschel was reportedly making $1.6 million, so in the ballpark of coaches under $2 million. Last year, the Wings lost Adam Nightingale, the video coach who took over USA Hockey's under-17 team, this year, Dan Bilesma will be replaced. What do you think happened behind closed doors there, Ted? I just think it's a completely different situation from the Carolina situation. Let's face it, the power mm. is putrid. I mean, it was awful. It was 30th in the league. I think it's been near 30th. Last year was 30th or 30th, dead last, 31st. It's just been a very sore spot the last couple of years, Bilesma was running the power play or in charge of the power play and it just was going nowhere. So it's not a shock at all that mm -hmm. change in that regard. It'll be interesting to see who they get. Uh, you know, are they going to try to find somebody with experience or maybe some sort of power play specialist out there? It'll be interesting, but no, I think it was, I mean, it's, it wasn't a surprise at all that Bilesmo left. It'll be interesting to see where he winds up next year. I mean, Guy does have a Stanley Cup on his resume. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take Pittsburgh to a Stanley Cup, but there's not a lot of openings around the NHL. You don't hear his name at all. It's really um, talked about it for any of these openings. Wouldn't be shocking if he's probably heading back, maybe going to headed to Europe to, mm -hmm. 
head coaching resume. And you know, Ted, you're, you're right. Uh, as far as Jeff Blaschel was concerned, maybe that was a move that he wanted to make as well, because how many nights did you ask Blaschel about the power play? And ultimately he is responsible. Although Doug Huda handled the penalty killing, which improved and the power play had its moments, but for the most part, if they had scored a few more goals, right, they would have been a lot further up in the standings, but you're right. Maybe this was a move that Jeff Blaschel thought was necessary as well. Nobody wants to lose one of their assistant coaches, um, but maybe Bilesma will resurface somewhere in a head coaching position. Mark, for the, the, the personnel they had, or they should have been somewhat better, better sure. 30th in the league on the power play. And let's face it, most evenings it wasn't productive, wasn't a threat at all. So, yeah, something had to be done. And, I think most everybody expected that part of the equation that Bowsma would be gone. Time now for our interview segment. As we mentioned off the top, our guest today is University of Michigan Center, Matthew Beneers. Joining us now is Michigan Wolverine Center, Matt Beneers, one of the top 10 prospects for the NHL draft in July and a possible Detroit Red Wings pick with the first of Steve Eiserman's two first round draft picks. Matt, Welcome to the podcast, and let's start with the Red Wings. And one of your favorite players, two-time Stanley Cup champion Pavel Datsuk, he won his first cup in 2002, the year you were born. He won his second cup in 2008 when you were six. So how does a Boston-area hockey player who grew up outside of Boston in Hingham, who went to nearby Milton Academy, and you were planning on going to Harvard until COVID delayed the Ivy League schools. Why Pavel Datsuk here in Detroit, Matt? Yeah, um, well, I obviously loved how he played the game with so much skill, so much patience. Uh, you never really saw him, like, mm-hmm. kill himself out there. I mean, he obviously worked hard, but he was always so calm on the ice. Uh, so that was one thing I loved. And then also when I was younger, I absolutely loved the Datsuk, like, shootout move. That was, like, my favorite <laughs> thing ever. Um, so after that, that was kind of – I just started to fall in love with him and his game after he uh, – after I started doing that move myself and just watching him do it all the time with goalies, I, I was like, oh, that is the coolest thing ever. So I just loved how he played. Yeah, that shootout goal, that was a bit of a pause. How would you describe that, Matt? He, he would come in and he'd – uh, just like hold on his forehand, yeah. Uh, wait out the goalie, and then he, the goalie would think he's like shooting far side, and right when he would pull, he almost like pulled it back on his back, and the goalie would just go the other way and sure, yeah. open that. So it's pretty cool. You know, Matt, I talked to Marco Rossi last year about Datsuk. Marco was a top prospect <laughs> last year. He grew up in Austria watching the NHL, and he wound up going ninth overall to the Minnesota Wild. He said that Datsuk was, quote, just crazy that a superstar could be that good defensively. Datsuk won three Selkie trophies. Patrice Bergeron in your hometown has won four Selkies, tying Bob Ganey for the most in NHL history. You know, they found a balance between offense and defense, and I found it interesting, too, what you said, Matt, about that patience, that calmness. What did you learn, though, about that two-way game from Datsuk and Bergeron and from watching the game? Yeah, um, I think it was definitely more from from Bergeron on that one, just like the two-way game. Uh, I watched him like my whole life 
uh, all growing up. So, you know, when you're watching something as a kid and you kind of like how someone plays or something, that's like, that's all you try to emulate, I think. Uh, so for me, it was watching the Bruins, watching Patrice Bergeron. He's one of my, one of my favorite players also. Um, so just watching him and just seeing how patient he is in the D zone. Um, and just like his timing is always great. He always goes, uh, and then like kind of pressures people at the right time. And mm-hmm. it's just in the right place almost all the time. And that helps him play defense a lot better. And then he can just transition to offense and make plays like he can. So, um, I think he's just such a good, he's so patient in the D zone and kind of just, uh, hangs around the middle and waits to go help people. And that's a really good skill that, uh, like any center can have. Yeah, you know, Matt, that's an interesting topic because Jeff Blaschel, the Red Wings coach, was just talking about a two-way game, the risk-reward, that it's okay to come back and be a good 200-foot player, but you also have to help out offensively down the road, and it's a difficult skill to learn. And mm-hmm. players like Bergeron, I, I recall people telling me in his first camp, he was like head and shoulders above a lot of the rookies as far as awareness and everything. It sounds easy, but I'm sure it's something that, you know, it's like you've got to make a few mistakes here and there to sort of get the get your timing right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can pick and – I think you pick and choose your spots. you got to be smart okay. uh, when you're out there. I mean, it's kind of like you got to look at the time of the game. you got to look at if you need a goal, if you're down, like if you're up a goal, like – uh, there's a lot of things you can kind of think about in a split second, whether you're going to make the like the nice sauce over a couple guys or if you're going to make the smart, easy play back to the D or something, things like that. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's kind of just like where the game's at and um, not like obviously you want to make the great play, uh, but uh, sometimes it's not the best decision for your team right now. If Say you're up a goal and it's like late in the third, like you don't, you don't need to do that. So I think it's mm-hmm. a lot just like figuring out – uh, when the right time is, and then taking your opportunities when we can. So, Matt, what if the Red Wings drafted you? What would that mean? I, I asked the same question to your linemate, Kent Johnson, the other day, and to your teammate next year, Luke Hughes. Kent said it would be special. He said he knows how much the team means to Detroit. He was a Datsuk fan, too, by the way. And Luke said it would be awesome. He's been living here in the Canton area since grade nine, he said. And he played two years with USA Hockey's national team, development program in Plymouth just like you did for a couple of years and you've had a year in Ann Arbor as well so what if Steve Eisenman or Chris Draper called your name at the draft on July 23rd yeah um obviously it would be pretty special um you know you just just being so drafted uh it's pretty surreal so um mm-hmm. but going to the Red Wings would be really cool obviously uh playing for University of Michigan and then um going to play for the Red Wings after that would be really cool. I mean, just kind of playing in Michigan your whole life at that point, like for me, like being at the program and then going to Michigan and then getting a chance to play for the Red Wings. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's obviously special. And then, uh, you know, I just think that that organization is really on the come up, you know, they're rebuilding their, they got a lot of really good management and, you know, they got a lot of really good guys. So it'd be really, it would be really fun to play for that team. I mean, um, it would actually be really cool if uh, <laughs> Coach Draper uh, called my name. I mean, I used to – I actually played with Coach Draper and his son growing up because he's got um, Kiernan, so that would that'd be pretty cool. I remember him coaching me in one tournament when we were younger. I, I don't know how old I was, but that was pretty fun. So. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, growing up in this area, of course, you'd be exposed to Chris and his son as well. So I'd yeah. also like your opinion, Matt, about two of your teammates uh, who are also ranked among the top 10. We mentioned Kent Johnson. He said, you never seem to get tired on the ice or always skating. And defenseman Owen Power, who told me that he would love to play for Canada's national junior team next year. They watched the Canada-US final together last year. They were watching yeah. you. You were the youngest player on that team in the US won the gold medal with a 2 nothing victory. If they both make that team, Matt, next year, what can hockey fans expect to see from them in Edmonton? Yeah, um, well, from Ken, obviously a lot of skill, mm -hmm. a lot of fun playmaking. Um, he's definitely a fun, flashy player to watch, and uh, I think he'll obviously do really well out there. And then same, uh, kind of the same with – or not really the same, but uh, same with Owen in terms of being a fun player to watch. You know, he's big, he's – can move the puck well. He moves his feet pretty well. Um, he makes plays. He can score goals. Kind of does everything as a D, uh, which you don't find very often, especially a big guy uh, doing that. So I think they're both fun players to watch, and they're both guys who are going to make a huge, huge impact on that Canadian team. If mm -hmm. uh, so, I think that's uh, that's going to be fun for for people to watch, and also hopefully fun to play against, uh, playing against some teammates at U.S. Canada game. So that'd be cool. Matt, just a couple of more questions. Your coach, Mel Pearson, talked about your skating as well, your endless motor, he said, your creativity. I talked to Jake Sanderson last year, one of your teammates, the captain, and he said that his dad would, would take the team on the ice and Jeff Sanderson, the uh, former NHLer, would skate for the first 20 minutes all the time. And Jeff Sanderson said one of the keys he thought to learning how to skate, some of its natural ability, but he also taught backwards skating for a while as, as well. And there's so many ways to learn the game. You grew up in a hockey family. Your brother and sister also played at Milton Academy. Your dad was a football player at Cornell, and I believe he coached you as well. So mm -hmm. what have you learned over the years, Matt, about skating and edges to help you move around so you can see the play and maybe not think as much about what you're doing skating-wise? Yeah, uh, that's actually funny that uh, Sandy said that about uh, him growing up because I actually had like the same experience. My dad used to uh, – okay. he actually coached uh, my team for about 10 years um, when we were growing up, and he used to – every every practice uh, – we practiced about three days a week, and every single practice at the beginning of the practice, he would uh, we would do edges uh, and skating up and down the ice for like the first 15 to 20 minutes and then getting in the small games, but – uh, yeah, no, I think that was a huge part of, kind okay. of um, uh, like how I got um, like pretty good at on my edges. And also I used to work with uh, like a uh, coach nearby, Tim Lovell. He coaches Boston Advantage, kind of runs that whole organization. And I worked a lot with him on my skating and um, like my edges. And I mean, I used because I used to be my stride used to be so extremely wide. So uh, really skate down the ice. So he was a huge help with, uh, with that. And then I think just the, the edges every day of practice and edges with uh, Tim Lovell, those were two big impacts on how I kind of got, got better at that. And Matt, what about the confidence then in your first year skating? Did you feel like, what was the jump? Like I asked uh, Kent, who was one of the top players in Canada with the trail smoke eaters, as far as scoring and, he was on your line for most of the year, but Kent thought that it was really helpful to have you on his line, the two of you, like learning how to transition, him playing the wing instead of center. Again, the skating and the confidence that you had with Mel Pearson's team last year. 
Yeah. Um, no, I didn't. I really uh, didn't think that was it was that big of a jump. Okay. Obviously, there's um, going to be some pace change. Um, but when you're playing with good players uh, like Ken, uh, like kind of anyone, like uh, the the jump isn't that hard. You know, um, it, it helps a lot when you're playing with smart players, playing with good players. And I think uh, I think a big reason that it wasn't that big of a jump was because we were able to play those college teams the year before. Okay. Um, you know, we played, I, I don't know, a, a probably like 10 to 15 games, 10 to 15 college teams. You know, we played Michigan. Um, we played these really good college in North Dakota. like, um, And I think that kind of gave us a taste and showed us where our team needed to be uh, for the next year and kind of helped me uh, set a place where I wanted to be over the summer working hard. And then uh, when I got there, it wasn't, it wasn't too different than uh, the year before, I think. And finally, Matt, what will the following months be like? Kent Johnson said he'll be working out, skating, <sighs> doing these interviews with the media. Lots of NHL teams will be, call- will be calling. It's been a whirlwind kind of year for you, the gold medal at the Worlds, playing at historic Yoast, studying your first year of university, having your season end early because of COVID. What's it been like, Matt, and what are you looking forward to in the next few months? Yeah, um, yeah, it's been an awesome year, obviously. Um, playing for Michigan has been awesome this whole year. Uh, I got to meet a whole uh, lot, of new, a lot of new guys and go to a new school that I really knew not, not too much about, but uh, it turned out being an awesome decision, and I really did love it um, the whole year. So that was awesome, and then winning gold was probably one of the best hockey experience I've had so far. So that was uh, really special. And also being able to play on, play with a bunch of my uh, NCDP uh, teammates who kind of, we, we got a U18 tournament cut short. We weren't allowed to play in it. So being able to play with them right, in that right. tournament and then winning gold was uh, really special. Um, and then, yeah, the next couple of months, you know, I'll be uh, kind of same as Ken working out, uh, working out, skating, um, just, eating like crazy, trying to put on some weight. Because um, uh, I know me and him both have kind of a little bit of trouble with that just because we have such high metabolisms. But <laughs> um, And then, yeah, no, just kind of doing interviews with the media, things like that, and interviews with NHL teams kind of. But, no, definitely looking forward to the Good. draft and see see what happens. And, Yeah. Thanks for your time today on the podcast, talking to us about your hockey background in the Boston area and lately here in the Michigan area. Uh, Good luck with the draft, and there is always that possibility of another Canada-U.S. final, so we'll be keeping an eye on that too. Thanks for your time, Matt. Yeah, thank you. Our thanks again to Matthew Beneers. Ted, just a couple of more voice clips from today's Zoom calls with Steve Eiserman and Jeff Blaschel. Here's Eiserman talking about his captain, Dylan Larkin. You know, I think generating scoring chances and creating uh, scoring chances for his line mates, I think he did an excellent job at that. I just think he missed a lot of chances. It happens. And this year, like, uh, playing so many games in a row, things you get on a roll, things are great. You don't get on a roll, you're, you're trying to catch up, and we ne- you never had that pause to get a few days of practice to regroup uh, um, and kind of – find it a little bit. So overall, I thought Dylan had a good year. Like, I don't think there's anyone that would ever question his work ethic, his competitiveness in, in, in any game that he plays. I would never, never come home from a game thinking, you know, Dylan didn't bring it tonight. Uh, so, you know, uh, as you all know, he's a really good person. He really cares about the Red Wings. 
Um, he's driven. So overall, like the numbers, his numbers, uh, like goals, I guess, statistically aren't great, but I think he played well. And I think he played hard and, and his, uh, his leadership, his work ethic, um, his determination are, are very, very important, even when the numbers aren't there. So I think as, as the talent level uh, of our team improves, as we get more balance, um, uh, I'm not really too worried about the production. Ultimately, I see Dylan Larkin as an outstanding two-way player. I don't ever expect or want, think that we need him to lead the league in scoring. I want him to be a good player in both ends of the ring and focus on that. Whatever the goal totals turn out to be, I'm not. They'll be good enough. You know, um, I, I my goal for him and he and I talked about it is strive to be one of the best two-way players in the game. He's got the skills, the strength and the skating ability and the, the work ethic to do that. Ted, what did you make of Iserman's comments about Larkin's size, strength, and skating ability and wanting to be one of the best two-way centers? We're watching a lot of these NHL playoff games with players like Ryan O'Reilly and Patrice Bergeron and two-way centers. And, but it was interesting, wasn't it, hearing Steve Iserman saying, you know, all this offense, everything else – that, that's going to come, right, Ted, because he, he's, he's one of the fastest players. He has a high hockey IQ. You know, as far as the offensive numbers, that's not something that – that'll just be a byproduct of the way he plays. That was interesting. The offense has to improve next year. There's no question. He did take a step back offensively for sure. And I know they said today that, you know, he, he had his chances. He just didn't capitalize on his chances. And, you know, that's partly true. But – they need Dylan Larkin to come back to form offensively next year. Mm-hmm. or defensively, no question. And I think most people re- would regard him as a really up-and-coming, solid two-way center. He's really, really coming, he's, you know, in that neighborhood right now in the league. But there's going to have to be some improvement. The Wings need to score goals. They need to produce offense next year. And for whatever reason, Dylan Larkin did take a step back. Several other players did too. And they need those players to return to form next year. Ted, we also got a bit of an insight into the relationship between Eiserman and Blaschel. What were your thoughts about what you heard that the two of them clearly are, if not on the same page, they certainly push each other, they challenge each other, but they both seem to be thinking along the same lines. Does that make sense at all? Or, or what, what did you make of, of them talking about their relationship over the past uh, year or so? No, it seems like for, I mean, they've been together now for two years. They did not know each other that well heading into this when Eiserman when came aboard. I mean, they knew of each other. And from what I gather, they had, you know, they had, there was passing introductions and whatnot. They knew each other a little bit. But mm-hmm. it seems like they've definitely grown together. They've got, formed a good partnership here. I think both people, both men respect each other. Eiserman obviously thinks highly of the job that Blaschel has done coaching. Uh, I think it's evolved into a good working relationship, and who knows? I, I think it's good. You know, there's a very good op- expectations that it could grow further even in the future here as the team gets more successful. And, you know, Ted, you said earlier on as well that you wouldn't have been surprised if Steve Eisenman moved on and, and brought in a new voice as well. So I don't think anybody's pretending this is like a perfect partnership. You know, Ted, I thought that when Eiserman traded Anthony Mantha, I thought that was a sign that he and Blaschel were on the same page. 
clearly Mantha was underachieving, a lot of flybys, a lot of like dump-ins when he would throw the puck back into the other corner and allow somebody else to do it. And I'm sure on the bench, the Michael Rasmussen's and others were watching. And when Rasmussen goes in, he's all arms and legs and, and he's trying to keep the puck alive. And he's watching this one player who was underachieving and was a good teammate and, and tried hard and, and, and it just wasn't working out. But I thought when Iserman talked to McClellan like two weeks before the trade was made, if he was talking to Blaschel at the time, I, I just have to believe that they just said enough is enough. We can get a first round pick, a second, we can get Richard Ponick, we can bring in a young player like Verona. It just made so much sense. And I'm sure it was a big relief too for, for Jeff Blaschel because players like Anthony Mantha can be coach killers. There's so much potential there. I just thought, Ted, that when that move was made, I, I just thought that there was something that the two of them, and I'm not sure it's something they would say publicly, but it was almost like, you know, we're not going to play that way. And we're not going to have our veterans like Luke Glendanning watch this type of performance. We're going to play hard all the time. So I'm not sure if that actually happened. It may not have, Ted, but I just thought that that was one of the key moments when, when Steve Eiserman made that trade at the deadline. Uh, my opinion there, Mark, as far as that goes, just the, the package, they could not turn down the bottom. Yeah, yeah. My friend, they could not turn down that package. I mean, when you get a, a young player like Verana, who, you know, you're able to give him more of an opportunity here. Um, and don't, yeah, he had his issues in Washington also. I mean, he was a healthy scratch for a couple of games mm-hmm. two before he came over here. So there's issues there. But just those two draft picks, along with Verana and a useful player like Panic, yeah, just enough. Uh, just a, that's just a package you can't turn down. Bottom line. So, I mean, obviously Mantha was having his issues here, but that package was just too good to be true from the Wings' perspective. And finally, Ted, let's hear from Jeff Blaschel again. He was talking about the importance of veterans and that while the Wings have all these draft choices coming up uh, in the uh, July 23rd draft, that really it's, it, it's just as important, he said, to coach the veterans and that very few of these players, as you've continually told us, and it's factual, just do not make the NHL. Here's Jeff Blaschel. Had the opportunity to work in, in – uh... In, in college and in junior hockey and the American League level and the NHL now. And at, at every level, I've said the same thing. I think development of your players is critical to, to your team's success. And, and honestly, it really, um, it, it, it's not, uh, it's still the case no matter how many uh, veteran players you have, no matter how old your team is or if you have a young team. Now, certainly when you're young, um, it can be exponentially important. Ultimately, the ceiling of, of your team sits at a certain spot and then the better your players develop and the more they get better it pushes that ceiling higher and higher and so i think development is always a a critical part of winning to me it's not uh, either or it never has been and you know one of the things i try to tell our players all the time is um, as a coaching staff we owe it to you again i don't it doesn't matter if you're a 21 year old um, rookie in the league or a, a 37-year-old veteran in this league, we owe it to you to help you become, uh, to, to continue to grow as a player and push your ceiling as high as possible. And, and ultimately, if we do that, our team grows. So, Ted, any final thoughts about what you heard and saw today? The um, Steve Eisenman spoke for almost like 50 minutes and 
Jeff Blaschel talked a bit about his philosophies and, and his relationship with Steve Eisenman. It was pretty insightful for uh, those of us who were waiting for 10 days and wondering what the future might look like. Any final thoughts on, on what, today, what, what today meant at all or what just happened? I thought Jeff Blaschel deserved at least another year. I mean, mm-hmm. I thought not this season, the season before, the roster was just bereft of talent. It was awful. It was one of the you know, least competitive NHL teams I've seen in quite a while. You couldn't judge the man on that. You can't, you know, you could, uh, like we've often said, you could have brought in a combination of Scotty Bowman and Bill Belichick and that team competitive. This year, with a little bit more competitive roster, team won. They played some of the best teams in the division awfully tough. Uh, they were competitive. They, they saw progress out of the young players. I think Jeff Blaschel did enough to earn another chance, and ultimately he did. And that'll do it then for today's podcast, episode 54. For more Red Wings coverage, you can check out Ted's stories, always at DetroitNews.com. And you can find us on our Octopals Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram stories, and Snapchat. Thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll talk again soon. (laughs) 